John Summers is the motoring historian. He was a company car thrashing technology sales rep that turned into a fairly inept sports bike rider. Hailing from California, he collects cars and bikes built with plenty of cheap and fast and not much reliable. On his show, he gets together with various co-hosts to talk about new and old cars, driving, motorbikes, motor racing, and motoring travel. Good day, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be. It's John Summers, the motoring historian, um, with his old school friend, Mark Gammy. How are you, Mark? Cheers. Pretty good. And uh, today we have California Filipino friend, John Garcia, joining us. Say hello, John. Hi. Living the dream. Yeah. Um, so look, right, we're going to talk about motorcycles because John's mostly about motorcycles. Um why don't we begin at the beginning with a cursed navy blue yamaha xs650 now do you know this story mark gammy uh no right when i remember when i first moved to california i knew one person mark newton right mm -hmm. and mark newton said to me when i was first in california um what are you going to do about cars or you know bikes or like getting around and i was like i don't know and he went oh i've got this yamaha xs 650 if you want it's just sat outside my shop now looking back right that was ominous right because what had happened was mark had got pissed off with it constantly draining the battery <laughs> but he didn't say that to me at the time right mm -hmm. So I put a new battery on it. I put a new regulator rectifier on it. It was so it's a parallel twin. It's like a Yamaha's version of a Triumph, right? And and it was Mark had got it from somebody at PG and E, and it was the bike for flat track. That's why he thought it was he thought it was cool. But I'd come from Jixers, so the fact that this thing could only do about hundred miles an hour flat out, and like at about sixty five or certainly anywhere near eighty, it felt like the world was going to end and you were going to be plucked off the back of it and it was going to it was going to fall apart that i wasn't into older bikes then so i didn't I, not only was it cursed but i actually didn't get that mm -hmm. kind of bike then so for me the low point with this bike was was i'd done all the battery and all the regulator rectifier on it it was all ready to go mark and i were going to fleet week so we rode from Santa Rosa, him on his ex-police Harley with the high bars and the, the tank shift and the foot clutch, right? And me on this XS, right? Well, Santa Rosa is about an hour and a half north of San Francisco, right? And you've got the throttle wide open then. So the bike's generator or whatever it's charging with mm -hmm. is going like the clappers, right? Heavy traffic across the Bay Brit, uh, across the Golden Gate, right? the splitting cars across the golden gate when i came out of the gas it died right and i bump started it but it was clear it had no charge by the time like i was in san francisco and then you i'm not sure john if you know this story marina green marina marina green marina green three-way intersection where good great place to watch fleet week right well, it had stalled more times, but, you know, 
Well, the long and short was I needed to kickstart it at a stop sign, three-way intersection. And uh, I, I sort of electric started it into the intersection, but it died. And then I was trying to kickstart it, fell over and it fell on me, which I know is kind of a signature move of mine. Oh, being, yeah, pinned, is, yeah. being pinned by yeah. my own motorcycle and not being able to kickstart. But that's what happened. Well, Mark parked up and went to try and help me. But a policeman was like, you can't park there. So he was like, I'm not parking there. I'm trying to help my friend. So there's me under the bike, all the traffic stopped and Mark virtually having a fist fight with the policeman. <laughs> so after all of that, right, I just left it in the marina for about a week being like, fuck <laughs> you, right, <laughs> basically. But, you know, and, and then around about the same time, I won that Jixa 750 in the SA competition, which is a whole separate story, right? Mm -hmm. And that was why I was out of love with the XS. So John feels bad for the XS, which is parked up in the street at this time of year, where it's pissing with rain all the time. And it was San Francisco, so it was on a hill. The bike was being knocked over all the time. So he feels bad for it. He puts a note on it. And the note was like, you know, it was sort of halfway between a note saying, can I buy your bike? I, I like it. And a love letter, I would have said. Right? It was like, <laughs> there were a couple of paragraphs, you know, it was like properly, it was like a properly structured thing. So I, I read it and I sat on it for 24 hours and I thought to myself, because I needed somewhere to store the Jigsaw because it didn't have a garage, brand new bike can't street park it what am i going to do to so then i thought you know any bloke who's written this kind of note is probably a trustworthy person one i just tell him i'll give him the xs he can have it if i because i want rid of the fucking thing um he can have that if i can store my jigsaw with him um so that's what happened because he yeah. and it turned out he lived just a couple of houses up the street and uh i think that's the how note, we became friends i think the note read that's not the way to take care of a bike. That's what I remember saying, sort of. Yeah, but you expressed it in a much more gentle way. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't like, you buffoon. Yeah. This yeah. Hey, dick nozzle, stop dropping your fucking bike on me. My, this bike <laughs> in the street with a stream of rainbow colored gasoline and oil running down the street from it, which is, uh, which is what it was. It had mag wheels, didn't it? It had those black smoke black spoked mag wheels and broad handlebars. It was a good looking bike, but yeah. my word, we, we, uh, what we think was that there was like a short circuit on the frame or something, which was why it always it eternally drained charge. So I did ride it all the way to Laguna Seca to watch MotoGP. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that? I remember it very well. Yeah, yeah. People tried to steal my jigsaw, yeah. sabotaging it, and I didn't get home until six o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And and what happened to you? I got stuck on the side of the freeway. <laughs> I had to work the next day. And uh, this was, <laughs> I think it was around one. Like I was stuck on the side of the freeway. With the excess. With the excess, yeah. yeah. It was dark and I, uh, I had to figure it out. Basically, I just had to wait. I had to wait it out because I didn't have a phone, right? Didn't have, well, probably did, but it's probably dead. The battery is probably dead. So I just waited. 
then kickstarted it, kickstarted it, and kickstarted it. <laughs> and it eventually it went. And they wrote it home. But that took like three hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's brutal, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a... Uh... I wonder where it is now. Yeah. You moved to Hawaii and left it. I wonder which freeway it's on the side of today. <laughs> <laughs> basically what you're saying is you have a thing with yamahas huh getting stuck well also also <laughs> the other thing was just like was, that's good <laughs> no you, you also you, you notice the the thing that i always say to people is is if you look very closely at dana's engagement ring very closely into the heart of it you will see a yamaha r1 because that's what i was gonna buy with that money <laughs> yeah. um so yeah, so I, I missed with the uh, I missed with um, with the R one, mm-hmm. and the XS was just the most pain in the ass motorcycle ever. But yeah, I won the Jixer on account of having a Jixer at home, so that's why the garage is full of Jixers uh, fifteen years later. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me move on to my next little topic on the list. Um. And this is thoughts on electric bikes. And let's begin, John, with, I did this open garage thing the other day. And uh, one of the guys on the street was like, oh, you know, Scout Troop, another dad built an electric bike. Can he come? And I was like, yeah, whatever. And then thinking he probably wouldn't show. Well, the guy did show and I didn't have enough seats and I, I didn't have enough beer and I'd not organized the, the, the evening very well. No way. But turns out this bloke competed in the Paris Dakar, <coughs> as you do. As you do, you know, yeah. three or four years. Then he ran some teams, as you do, you know, just because, you know, did John and the other guy who rides, who's also got a home-built electric bike, did John and the other guy want to have a go on uh, on the electric bike? Now, I'm not talking to you about it, but your expression was not dissimilar to when you inadvertently pulled a wheelie on a jigsaw in the street <laughs> some years ago. No, it was fine. It was a... Uh... It was very torquey and it was light. So what was it? What do you mean to what was it? What was the bike? It was like a KTM, It was a KTM 125SX. They had like a, I don't know what the size of the motor was, but it was big enough to like make it really torquey. It just, it was snappy mm. and it was clean. It was a clean, it was a clean ride. Yeah. You know what Jason said about it? The other guy that rode it was like, hmm, reminded me how much I don't like knobbly tires on wet pavement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's focusing. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, I want one. Like, I really want one. And what he was saying was, what, right. what, a bike like his or no, an electric one. bike? All he did was you... get the frame off the KTM 125. Mm-hmm went to a website and grabbed all the parts for that bike. Well, that, what, so there's a website you can go to where you, where it'll be like package up the right electric kit so you can electrify. Like I've got, I've got a TTR 125. Can you, you know, and then you buy well, no, you, like he, an LS swap kit. No, he, he had to fabricate the frame. If you have a welder, like you can easily do it, right? It's just the motor. The motor mm-hmm. fits in the frame and you kind of have, uh, grind it and just weld some mounts and that's pretty much it 
Do you remember the website? I guess we no, could ask him, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah. That's typical for this. Like we talk about something and then can't point people, anybody unfortunate enough to be listening, can't point them to the right place to. Uh... Anyway, um, <laughs> well, it's quite interesting. Um, all right. Favorite bike of the moment and why? Favorite bike of the moment. I don't mind starting. Um, I'm going to start with the CRF 50 that we've recently bought for my boy and how I just love the way it so wants to run. It's so, it's, it's the easiest bike ever to be kickstarted. He can kickstart it. Yeah. And the way it runs, it's like, it's like, it's like a small dog with a lot of fight in them. It's like tiny, but it's a real motorcycle, make no mistake. Yeah. And, 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 uh, I bloody love it. So that's my favorite. For me, it's the the DT250 converted into a cafe racer. It, it's raining today, but if it wasn't raining, I was going to ride it. So just so th- this, I, I when I see this bike, um, Gary, I always think of it as the meth special, right? Because <laughs> like, and why don't I leave it like that? And John, why don't you talk about where you got it from? And uh, yeah, so I yeah. went to Clear Lake. Clear Lake yeah. is the we'll, meth we'll, capital. We'll put some pictures. We'll put some pictures. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking for a picture, but yeah. So Clear Lake is the meth capital of California, right? And when I saw this posting in Clear Lake, I was like, I want this bike. I've seen this bike several times. I know who built it. I know the parts that are on it. And basically what ended up happening was this guy on Facebook was trying to sell it and he wasn't able to sell it for about a year. And this guy in Clear Lake bought it, put it in his living room and didn't really do anything until he had to move. But that's what he told me. And Clear Lake is about two and a half hours away from San Francisco. And I felt like I was going to get robbed, right? Because the way this guy was giving me the address. It's like, it's, it wasn't like a street address. It was like, we're going to meet here in this alley somewhere in like residential area slash commercial area. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to drive two and a half hours with my dog, Remus. <laughs> if anything goes south, <laughs> yeah, he's not going to have to deal with me. He's going to have to deal with Remus also. But anyway, it turns out it was in his living room. We went to his house. It was in his living room. And I ended up buying it and everything was new. All the you books. looked at it right in his living room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how we got it out. Didn't you lose a girlfriend over a motorcycle in the living room? Didn't... I mean, that wasn't the exact reason for it. I mean, that was part, probably part of it, but that I wish I had that bike to be honest. with you. <laughs> <laughs> Not the girlfriend. I'd, the still, bike. I'd still have the, no the girlfriend too. The girlfriend, yeah. I mean, that's a, probably a toss-up. But that bike was a that was a black bomber. It's like one of the first bikes that were imported to the U.S. in '64, '63. Mm-hmm. That was meant to compete with the uh, the British market, mm. the black bomber as they called mm. it. And it was it was the black bomber. It had the the chrome tank sides. And the guy was moving to Japan mm-hmm. and he was selling all his collection and I didn't have any space. And I asked Morgan, Morgan was the ex-girlfriend. I was like, can we put this in the living room? She was like, absolutely not. 
Dana was like, no wonder, no wonder. Like, what on earth? I mean, yeah. it's not unreasonable to ask. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only temporary. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm always reminded of that story when, when I hear about bikes in the living room. I'm always reminded of that story about a bloke who built a turbo Jixa 750. And in the magazine interview, they said to him, why did you build a turbo? Why did you build a 750, not a 1000 or an 1100? And he went, well, the 1000s or the 1100s, they'll get into the hallway, but they don't make it round the corner into the <laughs> dining room. But the 750s, I can get them into the dining room. So that's why I built a 750. Legit. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good reason, right? Um, favorite rider, all time favorite rider. Me, Nikki Hayden. All three of us, Nikki Hayden. Oh, good choice. You know, I have a very, very memorable moment with Nikki Hayden. You do? Yeah, I was in the MotoGP Laguna Seca 2013. Mm-hmm. And I was working at BMW at that time, and he had given me a a pass. I thought it was a regular pass. Who had given you a pass? The general manager, Larry Sainz. Okay. BMW. He's friends with Randy Mamola. Oh, cool. And um, I don't know, he has that connection. So I went with a group, right? It was like mm -hmm. this super bike freak group. And I had a buddy that was there. It was like kind of cheesy for me. Mm -hmm. It's like they, they ride in the group, and mm -hmm. they, were all, they were all handing the tickets. Mm -hmm. And now when he came to me, I showed him the badge. It's like, oh, you go here. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I'm, you know, in the lunchroom having lunch with the racers. And mm -hmm. it was just like a really, really good experience. But anyway, we were back in the paddock and Nikki was there. Mm -hmm. Right. And to be honest, I was really, I still am a Rossi fan. You know, I was waiting for Rossi in front of his trailer. And then Nikki comes. And uh, this guy asked me to take a picture of him and Nikki. It's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. And he was just standing there like, Hey, do you, do you want a picture? And I was just like, he didn't say that. I'm just like, maybe that's what he was thinking, you know? Cause the other guy was like, Oh yeah, Nikki can't take a picture. But super nice guy. Just that small interaction. Yeah. Yeah. He was just like, he took time. He was just very respectful. Yeah. I just thought he was cool. He was always cool. Whenever you saw him interviewed, he was nice and smiling and chilled out. And that year he won the championship. Um, yeah. I bet on him. He was, I think he was like 11 to two or something like that at um, odds at the start of the season. I was like, look, this, if he's going to win it, this is the year. Cause like the Honda was really good that year. And it's like, he could do it this year. He's the number one rider there. Or he, like, you know, he's got a fair crack of the whip. And then he did, he had a sort of period in the middle where he went on about four races back to back. He was doing really well. Um, and then there was that massive pileup, wasn't it? Was it was that the one where someone went into the into the into the brake lever and the thing went end over end? There was a lot of smashed up bikes and stuff at the start of that race. Um, but either way, is that two thousand five, two thousand six? That's when Rossi blew it, blew the engine. Yeah, it was one. Yeah, there was. Yeah, exactly. So, but in the middle of the season, there was a reason why some people were out for a while. And I remember looking at it and thinking, "Well, hold on, say Hayden then put the next one on pole and won it, and then put and then put the next one on pole and won it as well." And he was still four to one. I was like, look, I like the guy. I'm betting on him. So I bet on him. And then he built up to about a 30 something point lead. And then Pedrosa took him off when he was leading. His fucking teammate took him off when he was leading, which meant he. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember that. He it, said, I've never, 
I've never, I've never felt pain like that in my oh, entire life. I was ready to kill that fucking little bastard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, like, Rossi, Rossi, like eight points win. behind, didn't he? Um, yeah. And I had two hundred and fifty quid riding on him winning it. And he, I mean, I was a Rossi fan as well. Don't get me wrong, Rossi's cool. And I thought it was really nice the way that Rossi went around and gave him a pat on the back and said in the interview afterwards, look, if I've got to lose, it might as well be someone I really like. So you know, yeah. they, it, it was cool. But he, that was his year, and I mean, it was. Um, yeah, yeah, it was really, he's, he was a top guy. So just from a cool factor, I think he deserved it. Yeah, because Tony Elias knocked off Rossi. That's why he lost by five points. Yeah, because he got <laughs> back on and was touring around, wasn't he? But like, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that was a good year. Yeah. Was that the one that did Bayless win the last race? Because he was chasing him down. And then afterwards, he was like, I don't need to anymore. Like second or third or whatever it was is, is going to be fine. Rossi's yeah. in about 17. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. cool I was on holiday in, in Italy when the news came through about him having the accident that he had. And we were in a part of Italy where it was like in the hills and there were a lot of cyclists around. And the roads are really narrow. And it, I'd been just earlier in the day, it had occurred to me that if you were really meaning it on a downhill, and if somebody in a car placed themselves in the wrong way, you could just come around a corner and head on a car. And I don't know exactly what happened to, to Hayden, but I knew it was, it was a cycling accident which took place in Italy whilst I was at that, at that vacation. So yeah, Godspeed, Nicky Hayden. Um, Gary McCoy would be the guy that I would uh, would draw attention to. I just remember because I was getting into MotoGP at the time when he was um, doing the two strokes and everyone else had the four strokes. And that was just an interesting, cool thing. I, I uh, And I think if we were going to go back in time, I'd talk about Jimmy Guthrie. I feel that, that Guthrie, all the photos of Guthrie, he looks like such a tough guy. And the sport was so tough. In, I feel like the 30s were interesting, right? Because the the sport was still as tough almost as it had been in the 20s and the early years. But now the bikes actually could do 100 miles an hour and more. And you know what I mean? It was a, it was a, it was quite a thing. So, yeah. Um, Mine would be, uh, coincidentally, this guy just got a T-shirt, a Joey Dunlop T-shirt. Um, for the technical aspect of it, as a technician, he didn't like other mechanics working on his bike. And if you think about it, it kind of makes you faster because you have all that confidence in yourself. You don't have to think about, well, did that guy actually torque my axle right or anything else? You know, it was done right. Cause well, that's the American yourself. car guy attitude, isn't it? Is that if you didn't build it yourself, you don't really know what you're doing. They see yeah. it as very dilettante to like have a mechanic build the car and then. Well, yeah, for him, he wanted to do it himself. He was a very good mechanic. And I think that's what made him really faster too. Well, so that's given us a pivot onto our main topic for, for, for the day, right? Which, which I is why I, I was like, I sort of interrupted, um, I'm gonna say normal service, but right. It looks as if real road racing in Ireland is over. No, I don't think so. And it looks as if over. it looks as if it's over on the grounds of insurance. Certainly, 
in 2023, there will not be any road racing. There'll still be the Ulster Grand Prix, the Northwest 200. There'll still be Isle of Man. But so what, and I guess for me, right, the reason why I wanted to have this round table is that I think that you've seen the beginning of the end for road racing, right? When road racing stops, it will be on the horns of insurance. So in other words, right, when somebody kills a bunch of spectators at the Isle of Man TT, then nobody will want to sure, insure that event, and that will be the end. That's my fear. Well, I, I, I'm not sure, right? That's why I'm having this, like, let's... I'm a guy from Isle of Man, and what he said was they're actually trying to, they're expecting to grow the number of tourists from 40,000 to 500,000. 500,000 people to watch that race. That's what they're targeting, right? Jesus. But the problem that they're having is majority of the people that are there, the youngest that you're going to see are all in their 40s. So it's changing. It's mostly like a different generation. Yeah, which makes the whole like, Monster Garage sponsoring, you know, that Richard Rawlings toss pop sponsoring Peter Hickman. That I thought that was a really interesting uh, tie. Gary, you have sort of ethical problems with it as a blood sport nowadays, don't you? Um, I suppose on the basis that as you get older, you get a bit more sober and reflective about these things. And if you've been watching that sort of sport for a while, you've now got a list of people you supported who are dead. And that's a bit sobering. Um, you know, Dave Jeffries, love Dave Jeffries. Well, I was going to make funny you say DJ. I was going to mention DJ with, uh, with, with, but, but, but so, so, but even if, so, but even if the Isle of Man events survive, Irish road racing, the old fashioned three, tri the triangle, the town to town triangle, where you close the roads and you do it and, you know, the public, the local publicans make a lot more money than they otherwise would have done. And, and, you know, Gammy, you've been to, I'm not even going to try and say it properly, Reims, Rams, whatever, yes. the, the circuit in France. I mean, that's the ultimate three court triangle, three town triangle. <clears throat> that is what motor racing used to be, you know, for, for certainly on the continent, right? It's the end of that, though, if, if we allow Irish road racing to go away. And the other thing is, is my understanding is the premium was $400,000. It wasn't even that much money in the grand scheme. I mean, in crazy... Well, yeah, you remember, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's a bit more... It, you know, it's a super professional sport, and obviously the manufacturers involved and so forth. Um but I'm not sure, I would imagine, given that that number is relatively low, the margins are still reasonably tight for those guys running the teams. Um, so I so just finding an extra whatever, half million or whatever it is that you ain't getting back, um, you know, that's a pretty big hat you're going around with to beg for the extra change, isn't it? So, Well, I mean... It, it is in terms of like an amateur volunteer sport. It doesn't seem like very much money in terms of how much money 
you know, BMW's marketing budget is or Gas Monkey Garage's marketing budget. Yeah, but you or, just said yourself, I like money. It, it's old farts like us watching it, you know. The young, if the younger kids aren't watching it, then... And if you look at what, so what are the alternative products at the moment, World Superbikes, where the racing's amazing and no one dies, um, and MoGP, where the Ducatis are amazing and generally speaking, no one dies. Um, so, you know what I mean? There's, there, are, there is racing and high skills, thrills action on two wheels if you want it. Um, but I mean, look, yeah, it'll be a shame if it, if it, if it runs, if, it, so if its course is up. Um, but it sort of felt like watching the BBC coverage of, you know, stuff like the Cookstown 100 and things like that, that, I mean, they are really nadgery little back roads that they are rinsing those bikes round against grass verges and stuff. You know, I, I love oh, dude, like, like yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the two pillows they've thrown in front of the 500 year oak tree ain't saving no one. I mean, so yeah, it's, <laughs> it's that is the risk. Um, I still watch it, I love it. I mean, I, I they're the guys are heroes, but uh, it's um, and lasses, they were lasses riding as well, but still, yeah, I, I uh. I, I think one thing that's interesting in our conversation is that clearly there's a difference between the Manchester United, Chelsea, 49ers, you know, New York Giants of uh, the Isle of Man TT and even the Northwest and, you know, the local dirt trackness of the Tandragi 100. You're looking at different kinds of, they are different events. And something I thought was something I thought was interesting in that article that I forwarded that I'll put a link in in the you know whatever. Um, in that, what it talked about was how there's a bunch of efficiencies that can be made because you know there's still like two bodies that look after road racing in Ireland. There's one for Northern Ireland and one for Southern Ireland, and whilst you can appreciate why that exists, you can see that that makes it much harder to like coordinate efforts together to show the kind of economies of scale that an insurance company might want to see for you to be able to, to carry on with it. I just feel like, you know, I look for signs for the end of our hobby. Um, you know, I believe that what will take the cars and bikes that we love off the roads is fluids. The fluids will go away first. You won't be able to get tires. You won't be able to get the right oil. That's what really will, or, and, and gas will be harder and harder and harder to get. It'll be insurance. We'll take road rating off the road. It'll be insurance. Yeah. It, it will be administrated. It will be strangled by creeping administration. Yeah, I think the other man will survive because it's where it is and the government makes too much money out of it. So unless you get a Le Mans 55, I think it survives. All right, so let's talk about the difference between riding in England to riding in California to riding in the Philippines. Sure. So let's talk about the difference between California and the Philippines first. So Philippines is uh, <laughs> it's not really conducive to riding a motorcycle safely. Uh, it's uh, some Jeeps specifically will go out of their way to cut you off. So it's uh you have to be on alert. 
Um, I think that's the main reason why a lot of like the Irish guys, they talk about, I ask them like, what makes you so comfortable riding in California? Mm-hmm. They're like in Ireland, the roads are shitty. It's all gravel and narrow and you get used to that. And then you get to California. It's like, yeah. And, and just, just, uh, uh to that, um, you know, there is a road a couple of hours north of here called Skag Springs, yeah. which is, it feels like closed racetrack. It was built by the army Corps of engineers. It is wide. It curves from one hillside to another hillside. It goes fucking nowhere. Goes to a bridge and on the other side of the bridge, the road surface is shitty and there's a shitty like English B road, like one way B road kind of Devon country lane kind of affair until you get out to the coast, which is like fucking hours from, from the spot that you are. So there's no traffic on Skag Springs whatsoever. It is the perfect, it, it's like a closed racetrack, isn't it? It's yeah. perfectly Well, smooth. it kind of depends. If you're coming from Point Stewart, mm-hmm. for the first few miles, it's like really shitty road. Like it's what, you know, you're describing single mm-hmm. road. Um, but after that opens up, it becomes a racetrack. Mm-hmm. It's all clean. I was mm-hmm. actually there recently, a couple of weeks ago. You um you did Death Valley recently as well, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The thing about Death Valley is you don't have any reference point. So if you're going fast, you're not you don't it doesn't seem fast. Because you don't see the rush. Oh, it didn't see it didn't seem fast, my lud. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like when we were driving on that plane over Alaska, John, and you're looking down at the crevasses and you're like, and that is that fifty feet across and five hundred feet down? Was that five hundred feet across and ten thousand? I have I couldn't tell you. I just don't know. We flew up to Mount Denali on these nine-cylinder De Havilland Beavers uh-huh. seaplanes. So you like took off in Fairbanks, and then you flew towards the mountain. The mountain looked big, but really all the proportions were peculiar. You I, you know, you thought the mountain was, you know, normal sized and you know, twenty miles away, <laughs> but actually it was fucking huge and 200 miles away miles away yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah really uh, uh isn't, it, isn't it like 22,000 or something like that but up from the floor whereas the it so there's a lot of mountain right there whereas the ones in the in Himalayas they're t- taller but they start from like 15,000 feet where everything is if you like so they're uh, at that location so but yeah it's um it was cool when you used to live in LA, did you ever used to ride um, the Canyon Roads and I out to the rock over. store? I rode all over. Like, you name it in LA. That's why I'm not rich. It's like, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I rode all over LA. That's so how I you... met Tommy and all the other riders. Oh, okay. You met yeah. them through bikes. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So, were you, so I used to ride Topanga a lot, which is like north you know, which for Marg is and for and for the listeners, it's um they're breaking down the third wall. Look, it's um north from like PCH, north from the Pacific coast, um, towards uh towards one oh one, like over the ridge of hills, which is separates what, the San Fernando Valley from yeah. the Los Angeles Valley or That's whatever. Where I I live. Know, San Fernando, yeah. North Hollywood, the porn yeah. capital. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Dana had a friend whose roommate said to her, oh, I have a friend coming over. We're going to make porn. We'll give you a hundred bucks to go out to the cinema or you can stay and join in. And I was like, welcome to Los Angeles. <laughs> welcome to fucking Los Angeles. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I remember when I used to live there, I went to a pet store. I was with my cousin. Um, you met him, Gerald. The, the, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was at a pet store. Or we were in a pet store. And um, you were looking at this small snake, right? It's like a red, red-tailed bull. It's like the, the golden retrievers of snakes, because my cousin wanted to get one. And he was holding the snake, and this one, this one dude is like, oh... I always wanted to get one, but my mom didn't really want me to get one. You know, it's this, it's this black dude with a hat. <laughs> and we started chatting. It was like, yeah, well, you know what? Sometimes you just, it's better to just get it. It's like, yeah, I don't know what my mom's going to say. And then he leaves, right? Yeah. And then my, my, my cousin was just, do you know who that is? It's like, I don't know who that is. That's the porn guy. <laughs> um, you, yeah. I don't know who that guy is, but. The porn guy gave, gave advice on snakes. I suppose that's appropriate. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> but it was just like a regular guy. Yeah. 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 It, it definitely, yeah, it definitely is the do the go-to business in the San Fernando Valley, isn't it? No, it's, uh, um, Angeles Crest. Did you ride that road? Yeah. I always that rated was, that road. Yeah, more no, than... that, that's the first time I actually slid going fast like i slid right after coming out of a tunnel and i just picked up maybe i just picked up the r1 at that time so i'm not i wasn't that used to it that that, that much power yet um and when you go through a tunnel at a fast pace there's a crosswind at the end and that's when i felt it slid mm-hmm. right and i told my buddy tom's like yeah man i felt it that was like wow probably mm. a few feet it's like, yeah, man, you, you kind of have to get used to it. That's what he said. Mm. Like, yeah. Mm. But that is a really, really fast, fun ride. Yeah. Um, Mulholland, too much traffic. All the history, but too much traffic. Um, I have enjoyed Mulholland. I, many, many years ago, um, watched an MMA fight and then drove out along Mulholland late at night and Mulholland was good. And I saw how it was, you know, years ago when it was the place. But, but I think, um, I think Angeles, because it's quiet, it's an asshole to get to because it's quiet in the LA area. Yeah. That's probably the, the, the best road. And Gammy, if you're in Los Angeles, that, that road is worth looking out and, uh, and, and driving, not least because it's rather like Topanga Canyon in in the you'll be like hang on a minute i've seen that corner in that car advert like in that lexus advert like oh yeah like that's like you can uh you, you can offer it it's because uh, all the you know media companies are in la so they're near you know nearby so they all go to the same uh, same spot so um on the theme of the canyon roads um wanted to 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 share this old chestnut with you um, you remember, um, I have a CBR, that CBR 600 race bike that used to be down in LA all the time. I used to ride the Canyon roads with Mark. Mark used to have like a 650, uh, X, uh, XR 650, like a super motarded Baja bike. 
like a Honda 650, like a beast of a thing. I couldn't kickstart it, but I mean, wheelie, wheelie machine. They only do about 85 miles an hour flat out. So I would ride the canyon roads with 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 uh, with him. One day we're riding, we come around one corner, right? And I'm paying attention because there's a lot of gravel on the road and I'm not right. And I'm riding very much with, within myself, right? And um, on one of the turnouts, there's a chick with a ZX6, right? a lady, a female rider with a ZX6 parked up at the side, right? And, and Mark's gotten a long way ahead of me. So as, as I drop down towards PCH at the end of, of, of the road, there is a cop who comes past me at a high rate of knots. And Mark is stopped at the side, uh, is stopped at the corner. So I hop off. Mark spoke, has spoken to the cop and said to me, did I see anybody pulled over at the side of the road? And I was like, yeah, there was like, and he was like, how many people? And I was like, one. He was like, yeah, I thought I only saw one person as well. Um, it was a girl, right? And I was like, yeah, with a ZX6. And he went, yeah, her husband had a ZX10. They reckon he's gone off the edge. That's, uh, <laughs> that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so uh, I, I, I remember riding back along PCH there thinking, you know, you were right when you saw some gravel on the road just to pick it up. And let Mark get way ahead of you. You know, you were right to just, uh, just, just relax. So I'm gonna, um, um, whilst we're talking about riding these these canyon roads, um, when Mark lived up in Topanga, um, we were on Topanga making our way up towards the house. It'd been at it was sort of lunchtime, and uh, in that moment, sweeping around a corner. There was maybe a hundred yards straight and at the corner there was like a uh, where the road bore we we'd come to the left the road was going to bear to the right it was a, as i say uphill 100 yards maybe we'd come out of the turn and we're climbing up the hill um uh, and and there's shops over on the left and and so on and then there is a bag of harley upside down flying through the air landing on the back of a volvo station wagon I mean, landing like in the trunk space of the Volvo station wagon. I, I mean, and then there's a bloke tumbling. And and the next thing I know, we're like at the car park, at, at the parking lot, and Mark's out of the parking lot and dealing with the guy who miraculously wasn't hurt. It seemed just didn't know how to lean a motorcycle over. He'd just flown in from another part of america and had ridden dirt bikes before but not a harley so we learned this afterwards um the woman a woman came along i was like there when i was like stood around like a spare part when the woman with the volvo came out of the supermarket and was like when there's like a gog when she sees like the harley has basically merged with uh quite nice actually previously volvo 940 wagon so that's uh, so the upside down Harley, um, and and I have another upside down motorcycle story. Many years ago, Mark the A four 
your stomping ground. So this is a great thing when you're riding in Europe. If they've built a motorway or an auto route or some main highway, especially if it's a toll road, if you ride the roads parallel to it, they're often really quiet, but they're really good sweeping roads. And the A4 parallel to the M4 is, is one of those. It's a well-known biker road. I used to live not far from it, so I used to get be on it um, quite often. I was riding home one day um and i i want to say near hungerford but i'm not really sure that that, that it was and, and gammy you might have heard me tell this story before is that, that i was i'm on my back of yellow jigsaw my first bike um approaching uh, a turn and as i'm approaching a turn i see a group of bikers standing around i don't know what it was that made me stop but i did stop and they were all as I pulled over, they were all like looking over above me. And as I got off the bike, I realized there were three guys, but only two bikes. And then I looked over my shoulder and there in the tree, upside down, was a Honda Fireblade. Like a 2002, 2003, like what we'd call in America, a 954 mm -hmm. blade with the lights that are upside down in the tree, black and yellow in the tree i'm like how the fuck did that happen they're like we don't know the bloke's like they're like they're like this is the bloke that rode it i'm like how the fuck did that happen he's like i don't know like i don't know like i'm still walking like look I'm, my arms look he's like a bit scuffed up and there's a scuff on his helmet but he's like look look he's still like like, like buzzing from being like this bike is not like you know it's like 15 feet off mm. the ground it's not falling out of the tree it is in the tree like you know like in the tree so there we go those are my two um upside down bike stories um john you have you said you mentioned earlier you work for bmw mm-hmm um, we're sitting here looking at one of your Honda CBs. There's three more in one of my storage units. I don't know how many you have around your different facilities. <laughs> um, Honda CB or BMW, which and why? What are the pros and cons? It kind of depends what you're going to do. If you're going to be long distance riding, it's hands down BMW. I mean, they're just, I, I like them both. It's just depending on what you're going to do. Um, as far as steering, it's hands down BMW just because of all the safety features. You know, all the things that you read up, read on the newspaper, it's like confidence inspiring, ABS, traction control, all those safety features. They do work and they come in handy. But. I'd say favorite bike or just between CB, Honda or BMW. Favorite? Yeah, bike? if there could be only one. If you had to get rid of all the CBs and could have yeah. only BMWs, or if you had to get rid of all the BMWs and could have only CBs, which would it be? I'd keep them both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't just have one, John. That's the problem that I have. And thank you for keeping some of the bikes. <laughs> All right. Let's do these quick fires and then we can uh, can wrap this up. Okay. Um, all right. So quick fire. 
Um, what was your first bike? Honda Cub 90. Awesome. RG250 two-stroke Suzuki. And uh, O2 GSX-R600. That black and yellow one was the first bike I ever had. What a sensible place to start that was. What was the last bike you bought? Last. So I'm in a moratorium right now, so it might take some time. I think the last bike I bought was that scooter. <laughs> I think that was it. Which scooter? The one that you have. The Zuma? That yeah. was the last one you bought? I think so. Hmm. What was the last bike you bought? The CBR Gamma? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The CBR Segundo, yeah. The last one I bought was the Zuma as well. Oh, no, it was the last one I bought. No, the last one I bought was Ollie's CRF. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. And the next question. Um, all right. Now, the one that got away story of one that got away let me tell you the one that got away you're the guy on your street that used to do the road racing neil neil, yeah, yeah, yeah. neil had a 99 hayabusa and i wasn't riding at the time and i looked at that bike and i was tempted to buy it even though i wasn't riding at the time and i wish i bought it because that he wanted three thousand dollars for it and those bikes have just left the building ever since. That was a '99 bike, one of the original yeah. ones that yeah, could do yeah. two hundred no, miles an hour. That, that was. That, I remember that day. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, in the world of motorcycles. I don't have too many that have got away, but that one was one that got away. For me, it was a black bomber in Hawaii, the '64 black bomber Honda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one I wanted to put in the living room. Yeah. All right. Um, best bike you ever owned, Mark? Um, probably the CPR, to be honest. It's just brilliant at everything. Um, and really like all top end fizzy. And I know it's like not that much power really by modern bike standards, but it's so lovely handling. It really is. Um, yeah. Although in my heart, it's probably still the Honda C90. I love that bike. I used to rode that all weathers, snow, farm through shit and all sorts of stuff. We took it dirt tracking. It was amazing. Best bike you've ever owned, John? BMW R1200GS. BMW. Isn't that the one you got rid of because of the it, you associated it with a particular lady friend who didn't quite work out the way you were hoping? <laughs> Sort of, yeah. Yeah. But in general, the 1200GS is just like such a very, very civilized ride. It doesn't make you a hooligan. It's very capable. But it's uh, it kind of suits my personality. I like the way it rides. It's precise. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a very smooth ride. Yeah. Um, I think the best bike I own is the two grand 05 Jigs 1000 K5. That I have. I think as an all rounder, I just, I, the, there is a reason why people go on and on about them. Yeah. And it's because it's got everything that the earlier Jixxers have in terms of the, you know, terrifying license losing, like, you know, line of cocaine performance. But it's packaged up in a way that you can sit on it and ride it easily and the fueling works properly and, you know, you can, I, I, uh, I used it. I, I tried to fire up the moped to do a run down to the post office 
just earlier this week and the moped wouldn't kick and i was just like it's not taxed and i was like fuck you and really fuck you yamaha again right i had visions of that xs50 and i fired up i fired up that black jigs of foul and i wrote it down there and you know what mark Gammy? this is the first time <laughs> three gigs for a dollar it's gonna start up in three gigs i've got it running since okay. right i'm not taking that bet i'm just making the point that once again <laughs> the yamaha that i bought in order to have a moped that worked doesn't and the jigsaw uh-huh. that's done fifty-five thousand miles and so on i rode it down into the post office and back you know i didn't get into third gear i did take second you know just but but you know then i decided i preferred the engine braking of first and and you know so yeah so that's my favorite bike at the moment um well that's my uh uh the best bike i've owned what is the worst uh, i mean that yeah xs is the worst bike i've owned i mean how much time do you guys <laughs> 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 I don't think you want to hear it. Like, I, I've, yeah. All that. What about you? Um, oh, let me. Do... I haven't had that many bikes. I mean, I've had a ZX6R, but that was a great bike. I don't think I've ever been faster for fifteen hundred pounds. I mean, it was a. It, I think it had ni- with with the slip on, it had ninety nine point eight horsepower. The guy said to me, "We ran it twice on the dyno. We really wanted a hundred for you, but it wouldn't get there." I'm like, shit. Um, but uh. Yeah. So 96, 96. It was a bit set up and bag, wasn't it? But our monster exhaust, and it was in the right green. Oh, yeah. And comfy, man. And it handled pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing about that era of bike is they are significantly more comfortable than, um, you know, we're not Jigs the 750s from that era. They're really bloody uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. But, Lower peg um, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's not just the pegs; it's the handlebars and yeah. the the whole like seating position is you you feel like you're on a medieval rack with them. Um, uh, all right, final question: If you could ride like anyone, who would it be? I'll go first, Gary McCoy. I mentioned him before. The way that bloke could slide it, the confidence, the swagger. If I could ride like anyone, it would be Gary McCoy. Mm, I mean, I don't want to sound arrogant. Obviously, I want to ride with. I admire a lot of people who ride a certain way, like Rossi, Dunlop, and all the other racers. But honestly, I want to ride like myself. Like, I don't. Good answer, John. Good answer. Mark? Oh, I'd pick some one of the Dakar boys, um, Sam Sunderland or some, you know, someone like that. I mean, on the basis that I think that's such a transferable skill that I don't have any of really at the moment. Or at least, you know, I mean, if they're in the they're up at the Himalaya tops, I'm down in, you know, footing around in the, in the, uh, in the, in the, in the foothills. Um, so yeah, I just think that'd be a real sort of a, a instant, uh, matrix style download of a skill set. That'd be pretty cool to have that, that uploaded. All right. Well, gents, thanks mm-hmm. for your time today. Yeah. Until the next time. Cheers. This episode has been brought to you by Grand Touring Motorsports as part of our Motoring Podcast Network. 
For more episodes like this, tune in each week for more exciting and educational content from organizations like the Exotic Car Marketplace, The Motoring Historian, Brake Fix, and many others. If you'd like to support Grand Touring Motorsports and the Motoring Podcast Network, sign up for one of our many sponsorship tiers at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. Please note that the content, opinions, and materials presented and expressed in this episode are those of its creator, and this episode has been published with their consent. If you have any inquiries about this program, please contact the creators of this episode via email or social media, as mentioned in the episode.